0: doubles on KCOU 88.1 FM. I'm Abigail Klaptauskis joined here alongside Blaze Fields as always. And it's been of a snowy Friday, which kind of took me by surprise this morning. I was not expecting to step outside with a little bit of snow on the ground. But yeah. looks like you ran into a little bit of trouble getting here. I'm glad you got here safely. Yeah.
1: By, the, <laughs> by the by the by <laughs> the grace of God I did. I mean that's just that's just straight up that's just straight up Jesus right there taking the wheel <laughs> for a minute there, but hey, we're here.
0: We're here. And we're safe, and we're super excited to be back on the air. So thank you so much for tuning in. Blaze, yeah. do you want to kick it off?
1: Yeah. Um, well, folks, we uh, we planned kind of to begin the show in celebration of one of the biggest sporting events of the year. Um, I am just one of millions of Chiefs fans who uh, sat on the edge of their seats or kind of paced, definitely paced my living room Sunday, and then, you know, went absolutely bananas as... My beloved team won the Super Bowl again. Um, I was also one of tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of fans who drove to Kansas City on Wednesday to celebrate the victory with what is one of the best traditions in all of sports, which is the victory parade. Um, and it was a, you know, it was supposed to be a massive celebration. I mean, football and its celebrations really spark unity amongst people who probably wouldn't find themselves next to each other in any other setting. Um, At the parade, I met people from Kansas, Arkansas, Iowa, people from all over the Midwest coming together in a place that they probably wouldn't have been on a Wednesday. That's
0: so cool. And watching the early newscasts, there was such a power in those celebrations togetherness because community in a digital age isn't always fully realized in just liking a tweet from your team's page or commiserating with other fans in the comments. Celebrations like Wednesday's parade Illuminate the real humanity behind each of those usernames, and this celebration seemed to foster genuine joy. I loved hearing the stories of people who left school and work to be blissfully happy, standing next to strangers who they just met, but whom they share this joyful connection and loyalty to a fan base with. So, as Blaze said, we plan to open this show celebrating that excitement and celebrating the joy of winning a Super Bowl, but unfortunately and tragically a mass shooting occurred at the parade, and the shooting derailed the plans of tens of thousands of fans and journalists and players and community members. And even more tragically, one person lost their life, and at least 22 other people were injured. Half of those people who were injured were children younger than 16, but thank God, all are expected to make a full recovery. And so our plans, of course, shifted, and we want to take a moment, since you were there, thankfully you left before any violence broke out, but Just talk about your experience as much as you're comfortable, and how are you feeling and reacting to what took place on Wednesday?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, I don't know, it's kind of hard to explain. I mean, it was very, I don't know. It just made me a lot more thankful, first and foremost. But like, I don't know, just even like the fact that, it it made me rethink a lot of of stuff. It had me... It had me very, I don't know, emotional because, you know, you meet, you go to these parades and of course you're standing out there for hours and hours and hours and you meet all of these people who you would have never met before and you see the kind of like humanity and togetherness that something like this does to a community. I mean, you know, we got there at 7 a.m. and, you know, uh, like a couple moms asked if they could have their kids stand in front of us so they could say hi to the players and we were like, yeah, sure. And they gave us you know, some some snacks and stuff. And there were other people around us who, I mean, there was a church just right across the street giving out free coffee, you know, just hanging out with people, hearing people's stories about where they were at at the Super Bowl, who their favorite players are, interacting with, you know, children who this is their first ever celebration parade and seeing their eyes light up when they see Isaiah Pacheco and, and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. And it's just sad to think that, you know, a couple, you know, dozen kids who had those exact same things got the, you know, had those exact same feelings as the the, the children that I were around got their whole experience and potentially, you know, almost had their lives derailed, right? And there, were, you know, there are people who lost their lives coming to this, and that's incredibly sad, right? But mm-hmm. I think one thing that was nice though was a I had a lot of people reach out to me and be like, "Hey, I heard you at the parade." Are you okay? Like a lot of people, way more than I ever would have expected, and it kind of just was like, okay, well, <laughs> at least I know people care. Like that's a sobering reminder that there are people who you might not have spoken to in a while, but do care that you know you're still alive when something like that happens. Yeah, and also seeing like how Chiefs players and people in the community, media members reacted. I mean, there was somebody who tackled one of the there's a video of somebody tackling one of the shooters and you know really putting their life on the line to save potentially you know 10 20 more people in a crowded area like that you know so that was kind of my my thoughts you know it's just it just sucks it just really sucks especially you know given the fact that everybody was there specifically to have this good transcendent time and, and, you know, celebrate the experience of, you know, the intense euphoria that a lot of us experienced on Sunday.
0: Yeah. I think that immediate adjustment in emotion that no one anticipated, nor was obviously wanting, of course, that immediate juxtaposition of just sheer joy and humanity and excitement. And then, yeah, just the pain and heartbreak, and also confusion. And I think you're right; it's the truest form of a reality check that you were there and it, that happened, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, and I, I mean, was one of the people who texted you, and yeah. I saw the headline. My friend sent me the headline, and my immediate thought was, "Oh my goodness, I know Blaze is there." And just like a gut punch. It obviously there are so many mass shootings. In fact, in 2018, there was another shooting at a high school on Valentine's Day, and they were just celebrating, celebrating, excuse me, honoring the lives who were lost and on the memorial of that day. And there was another one on Wednesday. And those headlines, while no one is ever numb to the loss of human life, you're never quite stung by the closeness of it until it's someone that you know or could have been someone that you know yep. and our professors who are journalists where they're covering them for the broadcasts. I knew a Missourian photographer who was there like there are real humans who we know personally and whose names we connect to and are familiar to us that this one particularly hit close to home and our hearts go out to people whose parents and children are now permanently affected by what took
1: place. Yeah. I mean, you never think it it can happen to you. I mean, I grew up in a small town and I've never been, you know, I, it's very rare that I, I'm in an event like that where there's that many people there. So you never really think about what are the dangers if this happens? You know, what if, yeah. you know, what is the danger of going to a, a, a concert or going to the this big public gathering? Right. Until it actually happens. And so it is a sobering reminder that this is the society that we kind of live in, and that is that, you know, there's a small chance, but there is that chance. And, you know, if I had decided instead to go to the Victory Rally and park in the Union Station parking garage, which is an action that so many people took, you know, a lot of people ended up doing that, you know, that could have been something that could have affected me for the rest of my life, you know, so not to... Not to make anything about me, but it, again, that is just like that's just the world we live in right now. So, but again, like that while that's a very pessimistic worldview, there is a lot of optimism. Um, like I said, Chiefs players, you know, grabbed children, brought them into closets while they were off stage, waiting for all that to subside. Um, there was a really inspiring story about Trey Smith, uh, one of the linemen for the Chiefs had his WWE championship belt that they custom made for the Chiefs, and he gave it to a, a child who was understandably freaking out and said, you know, hey, buddy, you're the champ. No one's going to hurt you, man. We we got your back. And that's, that's, that's something really nice that he was able to do. And it just kind of shows that while these guys are these really big stars, they're human too and have, you know, feelings and empathy.
0: I think that's what I was going to say as well is it kind of dropped the curtain between – the celebrity and the fan and just showed that they have emotions and recognize that those could have been their own family members. And you hear about the quote loyalty to the Chiefs kingdom and how much they love their fans, but seeing them actually go out of their way to comfort their fans and for Coach Reed to comfort a teenager who was having a panic attack. And there was a story of Clyde Edwards Hilaire who has himself dealt with PTSD and how he then comforted another person and gave him some encouragement on social media and encouraged his mom how to handle it in the aftermath. Yeah, they're real humans and they have a lot of personal stake in what took place. We also just wanted to shout out the media as journalists and people who, you know, really respect and admire. Local journalism and their frontline reporting of live news. A lot of the journalists who were there covering this were sports journalists who were expecting to cover the headlines of the storylines of Travis Kelsey getting way too drunk on stage and Patrick Mahomes and talking about the MVP and all of that. And instead, in an instant, had to adjust their coverage to first figure out what was happening, find the words to articulate it live on air, take coverage themselves in order to protect their own safety and then have the composure to report on something that was affecting their own family members and community. And the resilience that takes is not taught. I think it's instinctual for some people. And the ability to remain composed in that moment is just really, really impressive. I watched a couple different broadcasts. KCTV 5, their reporters were just acted brilliant. And I don't necessarily think there has to be an expectation that that's how you handle that. I don't think you can tell any human how they, quote, should handle something in a crisis. But the fact that they did was was really impressive.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of why I'm glad that, you know, here at the the institution, the University of Missouri, we get taught a lot of stuff. Even if you think to yourself, oh, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm never going to have to use this. You know, it might come back around that you do. And so, I'm glad that as journalists, we've been given the opportunity to have this very wide net cast in terms of what we're what we're learning. So that way, I mean, you never hope a situation like that happens, but, you know, it's better to be prepared and be able to articulate key information to people who might be watching at home or might, you know, have their phone out trying to figure out, okay, where you know, what am I supposed to do? Where am I going? And, you know, it's just very. Very, very good coverage there for, you know, people who kind of got put on the spot. So,
0: so yeah. Thank you for taking the time to reflect. I think it's important to share the real human stories of people who were there, even if just beforehand and experience the joy of the event, because it's a strong reminder to tell, especially the children affected that, hey, this was supposed to be something that was very warm and welcoming and safe. And and that. As a society, we should strive to return to a place in which that celebration can be. I think we are going to take a quick break. And as we talked about, I think the Super Bowl is meant to be a celebration and fans are and do deserve the opportunity to share in that excitement. And so, Blaze, you are a Chiefs fan and we are going to give you the floor to relish in the excitement that should have taken place on Wednesday. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a short break. You're listening to Mixed Doubles on KCOU 88.1 FM. (laughs) Culture,
1: KCOU. Society, KCOU. You, me, togetherness, equality, eternity, KCOU.
0: Deep space travel and leisure, KCOU. Magazine subscription ends eventually, just as all of us do. eighty-eight point one FM, Columbia, Missouri. I know marijuana is harmful. I know it can't improve my game. My friends and I have faced many battles and we have always dueled without drugs. I wouldn't be the world's best duelist if I smoked marijuana. It would disappoint my friends and lower my concentration. And losing control with drugs is one duel I don't want to have. I must stay healthy and keep my friends close if I want to defeat my opponent's monsters. I will never dishonor myself or my friends by using drugs. That's playing a game I can't win. Honor. My anti drug.
1: Make my way downtown. Walking fast. Faces pass and I'm homebound.
0: And welcome back to KCOU 88.1 FM. I'm Abigail Klaputowskis, joined here with my co-host, as always, Mr. Blaze Fields, who is also Mr. Kansas City Chiefs fan <laughs> and got to win his back-to-back Super Bowl title what? in the company of his other Chiefs fans Sunday. And I'm excited for you, I guess.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's 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 simple. Brady... Mahomes Montana okay that's I'm telling you it's he's earned his way onto the Mount Rushmore of football and he's only 28 years old I mean this was quite possibly one of the best Super Bowl I mean it'll be hard I feel like right now people are gonna not say like from a game perspective like that. This okay, is from one, a
0: game perspective. From yes. a game
1: perspective, that this is one of the best Super Bowls of all time. As far as
0: playing football in the first half goes. Uh, yeah, eh.
1: it was. It it took a second to, to impressive
0: up. defensive showdown. Oh yeah. Of Everyone's course. saying that the first half was terrible. Okay, except for the defenses. The
1: defense was really good. Well and I mean, scouted on both sides. It, it wasn't like it wasn't like there wasn't like any offense. There was just two key turnovers. Yeah. In the red zone by both of the star running backs. That I feel that you know kind of contributed it to being as 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 little of a score it is. But that's just it's just incredible, man. I mean, you go in, you go down what 10 nothing in the first half of the Super Bowl. That's that's a hard pill to swallow. And yet Patrick Mahomes, in all three of his Super Bowl wins, has actually in 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 four Super Bowl appearances, he has been down ten each time at varying lengths of the game. He's three and one. Wow. It's incredible.
0: I almost think he thrives on that. Like, there's no deficit that really discourages Mahomes. I think it just invigorates him.
1: Yeah, I mean, in just the way way he, like, adapts his game. Because what we saw from Patrick Mahomes is not the Patrick Mahomes we saw last Super Bowl or during Super Bowl 54. This was a Patrick Mahomes that realized that, hey... The passing game is not working and neither is running the ball with Pacheco. We got to have a third element and that was his scrambling ability. Yeah. In the second half, whenever he was just able to to take off and go, I mean, on that fourth and one in overtime, just like the, you know, the wherewithal to say, okay, I'm just going to take this myself, right? Everybody's expecting a Pacheco run up the middle. You're, you know, inches away from a first down. All you got to do is Pacheco. Run it up the middle, whatever. And he's like, "Nah, I'm a, I'm gonna do my own thing. I'm gonna do my own thing." And that is Mahomes to a T. It's Mahomes to a T. You know, he can he can beat you throwing over the top. He can beat you on those short passes to Kelsey, breaking down zone coverage, and he can use his legs. And you know, I I, I feel like we haven't seen a quarterback that versatile ever. I
0: agree. I think something that dawned on me while I was watching him, especially in the fourth quarter and on that OT scramble, was there something unpolished about his dominance. He's not necessarily the automatic fundamentals guy in Tom Brady, who would, as you said, he overcame deficits in three of his four Super Bowls. Tom Brady, it was like almost inhuman in how he executed yeah. his throws in the passing lane. Mahomes kind of plays like the kid in the backyard on a pickup football game who's trying crazy plays that he saw in a Sports Center top 10 reel. <laughs> Except for Mahomes does it well and is able to make something out of it every single time. Like, there's something approachable about how Mahomes yeah. looks in his magic that almost makes him more fun to watch because it's like, maybe I could do that because it almost seems magical versus inhuman, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's more... He He doesn't play a perfect game. He's more relatable. He's a more
1: relatable Tom Brady because he is always in control. Like, he always, for the most part, knows what what he's doing, knows what's going to happen on each and every play, and if something goes wrong, he's got an answer for it. But it's just the way he goes about doing it that it's just, you know... You know, it's incredible because he... You know, move, step, you know, climbs the pocket like a magician, you know, escapes out of uh, out of pressure um, in ways that, you know, you really only see out of a couple quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, Michael Vick. And then he, you know, has these incredible big arm throws. But, you know, the thing about it is that he has f- he looks like he's having fun while he's doing. That's it. what
0: I was going to say. There's something like celebratory about it. Tom Brady. Had such a laser focus where it was like, wow, he plays football fundamentally precise, but it wasn't necessarily always fun to watch because he just dominated the competition versus Mahomes likes to keep the anticipation up and like, oh, we're going to go down. But then nothing matters until OT and now I'm suddenly going to pull something out of my pocket (laughs) that you kind of watch and go, I could maybe crazily accidentally do that. And he does it just out of sheer creativity, I guess is a good word.
1: If I had to give, if I had to give a villain comparison to each, to to the two of them. Oh, please do. I would say Tom Brady is like the Terminator, where it's just like no matter what you throw at him, he's always going to come out on top, and it's this like emotionless, just like, you know, <laughs> neighbor. Move, move down the field very slowly, like you know, just. There's wasn't, a,
0: th- wasn't he on the like a good neighbor?
1: Like a good neighbor, yeah, neighbor. yeah. Was that him? Yeah, it was. It was it was, was Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger is the Terminator, is the Terminator right? Are you not familiar with his game, Abigail? No. Oh my gosh. California governor. Have you watched any of the Terminators? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. former California governor. <laughs> I think the first I think the first ever former governor to star at a Super Bowl ad. So, <laughs> congratulations to to Arnie. But um no, like like but then you look at Mahomes and he's kind of like the Joker where it's just like,
0: yeah, I was going to say Dr. Doofenshmirtz.
1: Well, maybe. I don't know. I just like the Joker cuz it's more like chaotic. Like it's just yes. this more this chaotic yes. energy where it just really makes you mad. You see it and you're just like angry because it's like you almost had him and then he throws like a bag or pocket sand at you and you're like, whoa, what? No, I had you! And then wins the game, right? I mean, both villains lose at some point, I think. Spoiler, sorry.
0: But Mahomes doesn't.
1: But, you know, they both didn't, so I guess that makes them even more maniacal. But moving, I guess, more towards the uh, the, the actual, like, the game... Kind of want to. I kind of want to get your opinion on the Kyle Shanahan coin toss. This was a big, big storyline for for the game. And honestly, I watched uh, I watched NFL films, NFL turning point, where they name one turning point from every game, and theirs was the decision to for, <laughs> from Kyle Shanahan, which is hilarious and also a little bit interesting. That that one instead of instead of the coin toss, heads or tails, deciding the outcome of the game, it was. Do you want to kick it, or do you want to defer that decided the game?
0: I, at first, was shocked that Shanahan would accept the ball first in overtime. Then, after listening to his press conference and his explanation, I softened a little bit. He did mention, our def- quote, our defense had already been out there a long time, and quote, it felt like a field goal game. Now, I agree with the first part of that statement, and I... Completely disagree with the second part. Their defense had been out on the field a lot during the fourth quarter. They were very fatigued. I... I think that only works if the opposite is true, where our offense is super refreshed and I feel mm-hmm. like Purdy is locked in. Nothing about Purdy looked super locked in on the last drive. That's why they settled for a field goal and didn't win the game, because they couldn't put, get a touchdown together in their last offensive possession. And in fact, when it panned over to Purdy, it looked like he wanted anything but going back out on that field. Like, <laughs> So yes, the defense might have been fatigued, but I don't think the offense had any more spark in them. Yeah. And then the second part, quote, it felt like a field goal game. When, ever, have you watched tape against Patrick Mahomes where he ends the game on a field goal? Are you kidding me? That was not a field goal game. Everyone watching that game knew if it went into overtime, you were handing, almost handing the Lombardi trophy to Mahomes if you give him the possession on the second drive and you allow him to go score a touchdown. You're telling me Mahomes doesn't end that game with a touchdown? Like, absolutely not. And so... I I, dis, I I understand his logic now, whereas during the game, I absolutely did not. But I don't agree with the explanation. And I still think you want the momentum second. You absolutely want the momentum second because then your offense knows maybe it is a field goal game. But then your offense can play like it's a field goal game because they know they've secured the win. So let me disagree.
1: Let me. OK, I had this. I had this stat for a later segment on our show, but I'm going to bring it up now because this is so very important first of all uh, before I bring that stat up actually I will say this Chris Jones stated okay if that if the Niners had scored a touchdown and kicked the extra point they would have gone the Chiefs would have gone for two so the whole oh, uh, we want the ball third thing kind of doesn't hold up if you look at it from the perspective of well then it just puts the onus on the Chiefs offense to say we've got one play to win this game and we're going to do the best yeah. we can. Um, we want
0: the ball third. Is we're playing not to lose, not we're playing to yeah. win. Yeah,
1: and it's like you you can't look at it of oh well if the score is tied because that's a very big if, right? It's yeah. a very big if. And there's this Mahomes in playoff scenarios where it is the final drive of the game. Okay, and he's down seven. It, within the range of he is tied with the opposing team or he is down seven. Is 7 for 7.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: He wins every single one of those games. So why would you give him the opportunity to have the last drive? It doesn't make any sense.
0: In fact... Reports have said that even the referee who did the coin toss chuckled and said, are you sure when the Niners elected to receive the ball? If even the referee on the field knows the script and is saying, I don't
1: know about that. It's crazy because like I said, I watched the NFL Turning Point and they utilized, you know, audio from, you know, the refs. You know, it's the, the, the mic'd up, right? And it was so funny because... One of the refs, they go up to meet before the coin toss. One of the refs comes over and says, hey, Andy Reid said that if they get the coin toss, they're going to defer. All right? And then one of the other refs comes up to him and is like, yo, Kyle Shanahan says that if they get the coin toss, they want the ball first. And the head ref kind of laughs, and he's like, well, I guess he's getting it either way. (laughs) And it's just so so funny. Because, I mean, I, I get it. This has never happened before. This is a rule change that... You know, this was the first, this is the case study. This was the first ever utilization of this new rule where both teams get the ball in the playoffs. This, don't
0: count this towards the case study. This was a misapplication no, of this the was, rule. No, but
1: I mean, like, this is a case study now of what not to do. Well, true. Yes. Like, you want the ball last. And so it, it just felt like the 49ers, it wasn't, I think both teams played at about even level. I think the 49ers just made more mistakes, including that decision right there.
0: I was going to say, I think it came down to a coaching decision. And Andy Reid, I mean, he had his team more well-coached. Yeah. And um, they had Mahomes on their side.
1: Yeah. And sp- speaking of speaking of well-coached, I mean, how about the Chiefs run defense?
0: It was so impressive. It was
1: impressive. Getting guys... Like, what,
0: they held McCaffrey to 80, I think?
1: Yeah, like uh, Mike Dana, Derek Nottie, you know... Uh, I can't remember his last name, but Wharton. Out Chris there. Jones
0: up front. Chris Jones oh up front. Oh my goodness. And I, you know He I, was firing on a different cylinder.
1: I heard people complaining about the 49ers stepping away from the run game, but it really wasn't going anywhere outside of the first quarter. You know, it was very obvious that the Chiefs were selling out to stop the run. They were throwing run blitzes and they were daring Brock Purdy to throw. And you could see a couple times where they would they would go all in on a run blitz, Purdy would do the play action and it would get Ayuk wide open over the middle and then that's just it or you know jawan jennings right and so you know it it, it kind of was a really really well coached game plan by steve spagnola to you, you know just sell out for the run and say okay brock purdy mr irrelevant this is your time to shine go shine and it brock purdy Had a very, very solid game, given the stakes, given the circumstances. The pressure? You know, yeah, the pressure. I mean, that 49ers offensive line got exposed. Yeah. It was was not good. No. Chris Jones was getting in there. There were so many unblocked pressures. And honestly, Brock Purdy only having, I think, only one or two, only a handful of sacks, one or two sacks, is a testament to the fact that he was able to play very well under pressure and know, hey, I just got to get rid of this thing. Yeah, You know, there were a couple bad throws that Brock Purdy had, and it was solely because the pressure got to him almost immediately. And he had the wherewithal to just be like, all right, I'm just going to throw this in the area of a receiver and see what happens. But you know, I, I, so I think, you know, it's not Purdy's fault. It's not really, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to place blame for the 49ers. Um, but I just think this was a very, very well thought out defensive game plan by the Chiefs defense, um, and I mean that was kind of the that was kind of the, the the you know the driving force behind this win. And you know we've been talking a lot about this Chiefs defense, man. It's it's incredible, you know, that they are the 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 star power for this team.
0: I mean, both defenses forced what three or four straight three and outs for both teams in the third and fourth quarter. I mean, it was terrible in the third quarter it was (laughs) it was bad and the 49ers just looked disrupted i think
1: yeah i mean there was that there was that key drive where there's the pacheco almost fumble then it's moves to second and 15. there were
0: so many silver platters like the chiefs there were a lot of mistakes i think that's my point about mahomes is that the chiefs as a whole are not the perfect team that the brady era patriots were which kind of almost makes them more relatable in the sense of like they're beatable and yet they still win, which is even
1: cooler. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say that I wouldn't say the, I wouldn't say the, the, the Brady Patriots were perfect. I kind of, I just think that teams of that nature have such a bigger margin of error. Like, yeah, they, they, that's true. The Chiefs can allow, like, you know, that Mahomes interception. They, that was a really bad pick on that drive. Like I said, Pacheco almost fumbles the ball, recovers it, puts the Chiefs in a bad spot. You know, there was the MV, and uh, you know, the, the interception happens, they stop him. Or the MVS play in overtime where, you know, he runs backwards for some reason. <laughs> and Mahomes, though, whenever you've got a guy like that, it's not a drive killer because you know exactly, you know, what you're... You know you know exactly you know you've been here before right yeah you know how to overcome those mistakes because there's been a lot of them the chiefs went down 24 to0 in their the first game of their first Super Bowl run yeah right that's that's something that a lot of teams can't come back from and so I just think that with teams this good there is a very very large margin for error and if you're the 49ers you have to play a perfect game and ultimately they didn't but
0: I think that's very good insight I think the chiefs know how to isolate each snap and that one poor snap doesn't have to carry over and affect the next one and that there's every single snap is an opportunity to make a huge play and that one is not influence the other versus party it just seemed like it kept it was a domino effect. Yeah. And some of those drives the, the possession was over before it began.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of over before uh, that was a bad segue. uh yeah, going back to your previous my previous point about perfection can we talk about the usher <laughs> halftime show cuz that was pretty <laughs> close to perfect well
0: what did you think because the reviews were coming in hot in a lot of different dynamics
1: well i think i think that a lot of it stems from the fact that if this if this super bowl halftime show happened 10 12 years ago maybe even like 15 like early two th- late mid late 2000s this might be considered one of the best halftime performances of all time, but because you've got a bunch of like Z- Gen Zers who've maybe heard like two Usher songs, yeah, uh, it kind of <laughs> fell flat for some people. But I I thought it was awesome. They did a lot of a lot of really cool set changes. You know, they got Alicia Keys out there on a dress that was the size of the state of Kansas. <laughs> you know, Usher starts rollerblading. There was they they got her out there. Um, the artist, not the not the pronoun. Uh, they got her out there playing guitar. Was it plugged in? No, because they don't allow live instruments at the Super Bowl. But she looked cool doing it. They looked, <laughs> it looked cool. I was like, that's really cool. But she wasn't playing the guitar. Oh, well. But, you know. Well,
0: they allow, allow live band. No, they, they had allow- a whole marching band on the field.
1: No, yeah. I mean, okay. It, it, there's, like, they don't allow, like, I don't know. Like, they only allow, like, I forget what it is, but essentially, like, it's very hard for like whenever like the red hot chili peppers were performing in the Super Bowl, it was pre-recorded. Really? Yeah.
0: Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah. He sang very well live though.
1: Oh, yeah. No, Usher, I was Usher so impressed incredible. with His, vocal his choreography is insane. It's
0: so smooth. He's very
1: groovy. No, he is very groovy. And the so-
0: skate roller bladeography. <laughs> I was like,
1: what is this? This is fun. Yeah, this is random. That was, that was awesome. Like, I legitimately think it's probably a Top 10 Super Bowl performance of all time, right there. You know, it's kind of a. I mean, there's only been like 30 ish. So it's not exactly like, you know, the top, third the is, top third. Top third is really good. Sure. Yeah, it was better than like Katy Perry or anything. Whoa whoa, I mean, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't get why people are so like defensive about the Katy Perry Super Bowl halftime performance. Is it Dancing work- Shark? It's just the shark. Like that was the only like memorable thing about it. Okay, she's saying fan favorites though. You're right. You're
0: right. I think that Gen Z listeners, including myself, are entitled when we watch a halftime performance to expect the performer to only play songs that we know. Like clearly, his audience was people who've been following Usher for the past decade. So I'm not. I'm not comparing it based on that. But Katy Perry was a very familiar. Yeah singer in the time that she performed and she's saying bangers that were like on the top 30 hits like that week so everyone enjoyed it yeah no it was hard to sing along to ushers until like yeah six minutes in but but that's but that's because i'm not like i i understand that if you're a diehard usher fan you loved it from beginning to end and i love that for you yeah
1: but i just mean like from a performance perspective
0: the beach balls you can't break the beach
1: balls. oh come on (laughs) Come on! No, I w- the performance was cool. I will say, was cool. it I will was say cool. I'll give, I'll give Lady Gaga over Usher, probably. Yeah,
0: Usher was very, very cool though. But I liked, yeah. I liked all the trick, and it didn't feel too overdone digitally or with the AV and lighting. It like it felt, it felt fun, mm-hmm. almost like a summer concert vibe, yeah. rather than like this ridiculous light show that almost gives you a headache. I was able to watch it and experience it and not leave dizzy.
1: Now, here's my question. Who do you think will be Super Bowl halftime next year? I will say, I will say, you also have to consider the, I think you also have to consider the venue as well. Because sometimes, the like, Usher has had Vegas residency, so I feel like that was kind of the pick.
0: I think it's New Orleans next year. So
1: it's New Orleans next year. Uh, I don't know how much that'll factor into who they pick. Because that's a dome. But... What do, you, what do you think? Like, who do you think? Uh, who do you think will be the halftime performer for next year?
0: Give me a One Direction reunion.
1: <laughs> oh, brother! <laughs> Just
0: kidding. I didn't really have anyone on my mind. Who do you think?
1: I. I think I'm. I'm interested to see if they go Drake.
0: Interesting,
1: because he's
0: plateauing, and it's a good time for him to get. Yeah. Back in the airwaves,
1: yeah, and I mean he's got enough hits to where I think that it would be an enjoyable Super Bowl performance. Yeah, he could put together Hotline headset. Bling, little little, um, just hold on, we're going home, or it <laughs> will come
0: into a Drake song.
1: Yeah, but I I think there's a lot there. I think, uh, you know, he had a song where the the one of the main cruxes of the song was big as the Super Bowl, and so I just I feel like I feel like that could translate considering how big he is. I don't know. Maybe they'll go, like, Morgan Wallen or something. I hope not, because Morgan Wallen's boring, but...
0: Yeah, they tend to avoid country performers. They just give them the national anthem. Yeah. And Morgan Wallen's a little too controversial.
1: Yep. All right.
0: We are going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about a woman in Iowa who is breaking records left and right, and... We're also going to deep dive into what it takes to truly be the greatest of all time. And we're not talking statistically.
1: Are we talking Abigail a radio legend breaking <laughs> records?
0: That was good. All right. Don't go anywhere. We're coming back on KCOU 88.1 FM.
1: Drive carefully, Brad. Don't worry, Wilma. I'm an expert driver. But that truck isn't. Look out! no! Oh Did you get hurt? No, but
0: I got a great idea. These vines and hooks will keep the whole family in place.
1: You're so clever,
0: Fred. Buckle up, everybody. I think I just invented seatbelts. Yappa dappa doo Fred buckles up. So should you.
1: Hi, you reached Mickey Doolittle. I couldn't get to the phone right now. Just go ahead and record a message, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Thanks. Have a great day. Hey, Mickey Doolittle. It's uh, John Lieber. Uh, and Adam Busak. Uh, the, the host of the chatting average on KCOU 88.1 FM. It's, it's the premier MLB baseball show on the airwaves of KCOU, and you can listen every Friday from 11 to noon as John and I break down everything in Major League Baseball. You know, Mickey, you gotta start answering your phone. This is getting a little ridiculous, but you should also tune in on Fridays at eleven AM. Go Giants. Yeah yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Sis god, blah boy sis god blah
0: boy. Yeah. Is this heaven? No, it's Studio A. And it's Iowa women's basketball. Shout out to the fan with that sign on Twitter, Caitlin Clark. Last night.
1: let this all the way out. It's gonna distract. Sorry,
0: Caitlin Clark four years ago, chose to stay in her home state to make history, and last night she did it. She surpassed Kelsey Plum's all-time scoring record to be the highest-scoring women's basketball player in NCAA history, but that wasn't enough. She also broke the Carver Stadium record for most points scored in a single game as she ended the night with 49 points, and teammate of the year, thirteen assists. The Hawks ended up winning. She now has three thousand five hundred sixty nine points and earned them in thirteen fewer games. The Kelsey Plum. Did you were you able to watch the moment where she scored from a logo three point shot?
1: I did. I did watch it after the fact. I was at Olive Garden whenever that whole thing went down. But I sorry, not that whole thing. That one of the crowning <laughs> achievements in sports history went down. I was watching the Caitlin
0: cast on Peacock, which is exactly what it sounds like. It is cameras on Caitlin the entire time. Uh, And it took about two minutes and 12 seconds for her to shadow the record. She was only eight points away heading into the game. And how else would she do it, of course, than with a signature off-balance three-point shot? She fires them away. It is
1: unreal. She knows she's going to make them. Like, she just knows that she is going to make them, and she doesn't care. The wherewithal... To note, like, I don't, I maybe, maybe she just was like, ah, I'm just gonna throw up a three here or something. But no, like, you know, like, she's no, way too brilliant no, no, for that. No, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying is like, it, there's like a 1% chance that that is what actually happened. Like, she definitely knew that that was the shot. And so, like, that's just the most iconic moment in women's college basketball history. Like, just throwing up that shot, a shot that is like objectively. It's, you know, it's a low percentage shot. It's a bad shot for most people, but most people, actually nobody besides Caitlin Clark is Caitlin Clark. It's incredible. I, I just, like, I marvel. I marvel. Ever since she started, like just started playing, like, college basketball started appearing on the radar, dropping, like, 40, 50-point games, and people are like, whoa, who's this Caitlin Clark girl? You know, I, I was captivated because the way she plays basketball is so electric, like, it's, it's just a joy to watch. And so the fact that she was able to turn such a fun play style into something that is sustainable and has given her 3,569 points, I mean, come on. I'm sorry, but nobody else is doing that. Nobody else is doing that.
0: She is captivating. Nobody else in either league, mind you, is selling out all home games before the season even starts. And then every single road game, not only is she impressing Carver, she is drawing in lines of people like along city (laughs) corners in Nebraska and every other place in the Big Ten where they're visiting. It's insane. And not only that, she's selling out crowds because she's this fantastic captivating scorer she's like the best teammate she averages 32 points and eight assists per game and if you watch her on the court with these assists it's as if she's communicating telepathically with her teammates like you sprint down the court and she just has launches these cross court passes in transition and it's not as if she's completing an impressive pass to an open player she is passing her players open because she can see the court vision before it even takes place she's just superhuman. it's so cool shout out nike which is not something abigail klapdowska says very often however i did think they created a sick graphic with the if you break it you own it i mean that's that's cool and what about that photo and you know what was also cool yep In the photo and in the clips of her making history, yeah, a lot of people had their cell phones out, but not as many as when LeBron James recently shattered the record. It felt like more people were just there experiencing it live, which I think is a lot
1: more cool. I I agree. I think personally, a little sidebar, I think whenever a big moment like happens like that, just put your phone away. Everybody's got it. Everybody, you know, there's 500 billion Television yeah, cameras your, pointed. Your at Your shot
0: from the nosebleed section is not what's going to end up on the internet. But you exactly. saying, "Hey, I was there and I got to watch it live with my own eyes." That's
1: cool. Exactly. Exactly. That's or just a get one of your get one of your friends who likes recording that stuff to record it. Yeah. Use your own eyes. But man, that was. I mean, just what a, what a moment, man! What a moment. And that's the kind of stuff. That's the reason why you see Caitlyn Clark selling out crowds like that. Yeah. It is because she is just so fun to watch. So Abigail, I got a question for you. So, disregarding NIL, because she's probably going to have those partnerships, endorsements, all of that stuff whenever she moves to the WNBA, should she use her extra year of eligibility from the COVID year, right, and come back next year, or declare for the draft at the end of this season?
0: I think this comes down to how she's doing as a person at the end of the season, because The pressure of being on the top of the world and carrying the weight of the reputation of women's college basketball on your back must be kind of ridiculous. And I can't even imagine what that feels like. Lisa Bluter spoke a little bit about it in her press conference. She said before the practice, or yeah, while they were all shooting around. She asked each of her players to share something they loved about Caitlin Clark that had nothing to do with her basketball career. And Kelsey Plum reiterated that when she was asked about shattering as Caitlin Clark approached her record. And... I just get a little nervous for Caitlin Clark as a person right now because she is on the top of the world and everyone is coming to every single stadium she goes to. She has this magnetic pole to watch number 22 play. And I almost wonder if it might be better for her to take a breather in the WNBA and step into a league where there are other women who can carry the reputation of women's basketball. Like there are other superstars in the WNBA. She doesn't have to be the only one. And she would join, I mean, likely if unless Indiana Fever botches the draft, she would join Aaliyah Boston and uh, play with Indiana Fever. That said, when again in the world is she going to leave such a legacy with a program? And there's nothing more magical than college sports. And I'm not making a comparison between college women's basketball and the WNBA. I think the WNBA is on the rise and going to do great things. There's just nothing cooler than any athlete. Staying for to win another national championship with Georgia football, or to stay and go back to back with Duke and Mike Coach K. Uh, So I think it depends on where she's at mentally and how she wants her career to look in the
1: next year. I I think that um I think and this is where I'll I'll, I don't know with the whole like you can disagree yeah I I disagree just a little bit just. (laughs) I, well, I, it's not necessarily, like, a disagree with a specific point that you've made. It's just I think my point kind of clashes a little bit, which is that I think when Caitlin Clark steps into the WNBA, it's going to be – I mean, pe- people are, like, waiting on this. People are waiting on her to go to the WNBA, and I feel like where she's at college basketball-wise, she's pretty safe, you know? She can keep doing this over and over and over again because, you know, she is just that good – and going to the WNBA means having to having to step her game up yes. and kind of shoulder what I assume will be a lot of new viewership into the WNBA. True. You know, she is going to become the face of that league instantly. And it's a little bit different than being the face of college basketball, you know, because the WNBA is like a kind of a contentious topic amongst people. You know, people... You know, they hear the WNBA, and they have. There's a lot of people who have a negative, uh, a negative viewpoint about it. Why? Uh, I, Ignorance. Misogyny. Uh, but you know, it, it'll just be a lot harder to be the face of that league than it will be to be the face of college basketball. And so, if I were her, like, you know, I would. I don't know. I'd probably I just agree. I back.
0: agree that people are going to tune into more WNBA games because she's playing. But I think that there are other stars who will are will continue to be the case. Excuse me, words. I think there are other stars in the WNBA who continue to be the face of the WNBA, even with the addition of Caitlin Clark. Aaliyah Boston was the face of South Carolina women's basketball. She stepped into the WNBA. She is still very prevalent. But when you join the ranks of Diana Taurasi and Sprian Ionescu and Brittany Geiner and Sophia Cunningham and Kelsey Plum, you're in the league of stars because the market isn't very large. So it is the best of the best. And I think Caitlin Clark just gets to join the ranks rather than leading the ranks like she is right now.
1: Oh, yeah. But the, I think, I, and you know, I think it would be unfair to say that she has to lead the ranks or anything like that. True. But I think That's not her responsibility. I think there is a little bit of an expectation from outside forces, though, that she's going to keep that same level of dominance in college basketball yeah. into the WNBA. And so when inevitably she has growing pains and stuff, it's going to be very hard. So it's kind of like, does she want to get that hardship out of the way early or does she yeah. want to have one more year to kind of celebrate her greatness, you know, continue adding on to that giant point total and, you know, perhaps even get a national championship out of it. Right. I, yeah. I, I truly think if Iowa wins the national championship this year, it's going to be a hard road. There's some really, really good teams and you know, national championship tournaments are kind of a crap shoot. With 64 teams, but if if she wins this tournament, I think there is nothing left to conquer, and I think she'll go to the WNBA. But I, I think, agree. I think if Iowa gets really, really, really close and falls short again, I think she comes back just to see what happens, you know? And then the Indiana Fever will end up taking Angel Reese number one overall.
0: Interesting. All right. Well, those were... Some really good conversations. I felt like we covered a lot of topics on today's show.
1: We covered like, we covered like three topics. Actually, not a lot. We We went went very in depth, though, which I think is really cool. We don't, you know, I mean, we go in depth, but sometimes we kind of, for the sake of time, just we sprawl. We let things kind of like, you know, die off before we really get to like say all of our piece about it. But you know, that's really cool. So,
0: and we teased out the legacy formula, which is going to be our discussion into what makes the greatest of all time, the greatest of all time. And we're talking intangible personality characteristics, but I don't think we have time to give this discussion the merit it deserves. So we are going to save that for next week. Listen ahead. And while you're waiting, make sure to drop by our social media and share what characteristics do you think every single elite athlete share that help them to be the greatest in their certain event or sport? Yeah, we'll uh, do, that's we, just our little teaser.
1: We do a little, we, we run a little Instagram story. Yeah, we're going to come back to this. Yeah, we'll put, we'll put something up on our Instagram story, a little like drop a trait type deal, and then we'll we'll read a couple that we think are really cool on air.
0: All right, that is going to do it for us The Mixed Doubles. Have a lovely Friday evening. We hope you are all doing well and safe, and call your mom, call your family, call someone that you love, tell them you love them, and also tune into Mixed Doubles next week on Friday. We'll be here at 88.1 FM. I'm Abigail klaptauskis that was Blaze Fields, this was Mixed Doubles, and this is Fall for Your Type featuring Drake. <laughs>